Proverbs chapter 5 with you. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open to Proverbs chapter 5. We're actually going to move into chapter 6 and 7 as well, but we're going to launch out of Proverbs chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible with you, either on your phone or a hard copy, uh, we're going to have the text up on the screen there for you. Um, The topic today uh, out of Proverbs chapter 5 and 6 and 7 is wisdom as it applies to lust or sexuality. So our title of our series is Wisdom in Dizzying Times. If there's ever been a more dizzying topic than how our culture uh, interacts or interprets our sexuality, uh, then, then this is it. So and you have a dizzy pastor, so this is going to be a lot of fun for, for everybody. Um, I have a few disclaimers because of the nature of, of this topic. The first is that this is just a talk on sexual purity. This is not the talk to end all talks. Um, so if there is something that you feel or think in this particular arena and I don't get to it, uh, that's why. This should be an ongoing conversation that you're having in healthy biblical community. So maybe in your RCs or in your small groups. Uh, This topic is something that you guys are talking together. So that's the first disclaimer. Um, The second disclaimer is a lot of times in church when somebody preaches on things like lust or sexuality, um, all husbands leave feeling beat up. Um, I'm a husband, and like you, I just want to go home and watch football today. And uh, I don't want to be beat up at church and then go home and be beat up again. Um, So this is not in any way designed to make all men feel terrible, uh, nor is it designed to make women feel like all men are terrible. Um, And also, while this section is predominantly written to uh, young men, Proverbs is written to to young men, uh, sexual sin is an all stages, all ages issue. So if you have a pulse, God has something for you today. And then lastly, um, this is not meant simply for shock and awe. I I don't want to be provocative just for the sake of being provocative. Um, I don't have to do a whole lot of convincing, I don't think, to to show you and to share with you that our culture doesn't have uh, the same ethic uh, as the Bible does in terms of our sexuality. so I, I don't want to spare you from that because I do think that there are people in the room who feel like you might be the exception to the rule that the way that the scripture teaches um, us in terms of our sexuality, it doesn't apply to you. Um, and we're going to see that, it, in fact, it does. So if there's anything that I didn't cover in those disclaimers, um, I look forward to reading your emails this week. Um, <laughs> And hearing what those things were. Let's pray uh, just for God to teach us this morning. Father God, we love you. And um, God, indeed, we are in constant, um, God, just constraint to your grace. And I'm praying for that, um, God, right now. God, this topic uh, in lust and sexuality represents for many people, including myself, um, God, just a mountain of failure and regret and shame and I wish I wouldn't have or I wish it didn't. And so, God, I'm asking for you by your spirit, um, God, to just minister grace to us. God, that the message of freedom that comes through your word and through the gospel, God, would be heard and experienced today. And so, Holy Spirit, would you come now? Would you control me? God, would you get me out of the way so that you would be seen and heard this morning? I'm going to ask you um, also to just pray for you in the next uh, moment here. 
pray um, that you would hear from God and that distractions would be removed, that he would give you um, ears to hear and eyes to see. I'm going to ask um, that you would pray for me, just that I would be clear, um, that I would not be distracted, nor a distraction, um, and that God, um, by his grace and mercy, would just use me as a conduit to speak to all of us this morning. Father God, you're so good to us. Your mercy is fresh and new this morning. Um, We thank you for it. God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for you, Spirit, and your power. Uh, Move with freedom, we pray. Jesus, I love you. It's in your name. Amen. The book of Proverbs is originally written to this young man, this young man who's getting ready to launch out into life. And we see this conversation between the father and the son and the the father wants to talk to him about these desires that he has that are good desires. And he says, I want to help you aim those desires in the right direction. Because what we learn from Proverbs, specifically in this realm, is that our misguided search for satisfaction will lead us to destruction, that will lead us to death. What the Father's trying to warn the Son, what I think the Scripture's trying to warn us today, is that there's a, there's a worldview out there that's going to try to tell you what to do with the drive that you have. And it leads to death. In the, in the first three, uh, chap- three of the first nine chapters of Proverbs are dedicated to this woman who's the seductress. She's kind of like the anti-woman of wisdom. Now, Proverbs is not suggesting that all women are like this, and Proverbs is in no way down on women. Um, wisdom is also personified as a woman. Proverbs 31 is about an incredible woman. Um, but, but this seductress is introduced to us in those chapters, and we're going to see it today in 5, 6, and 7. I'm going to read through quite a bit of scripture. We're going to have it up on the screen, and I'm going to try to go through it pretty fast for especially for sake of time but I want to just show you what I think the father is doing with the son here in five six and seven. First, he's going to give a description of what this forbidden strange seductress woman this adulterous woman looks like he's going to describe her for uh, the son and then he's going to give an illustration that is he's going to give kind of this story of look this is how she operates so this is what she looks like and this is how she operates and then he's going to give a warning she looks like this she works like this this is the warning and then he's finally going to give application in other words this is what you do when you encounter her. so I'm going to be in Proverbs 5 6 and 7 so if you have a Bible or just kind of looking at the screen try to uh, stay with me here chapter 5 we'll start in verse 3 again this is the description of this forbidden woman he says for the lips of the forbidden woman they drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil but in the end she's as bitter as wormwood sharp as a two-edged sword Her feet go down to death and her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life and her ways wander. She does not know it. So he describes her there in chapter 5. In chapter 7, if you just turn over to the right there, he's now going to tell a story or give an illustration of this is how she works. So this is what she looks like and this is what she does. Verse 6 in chapter 7. For at the window of my house I have looked out through my lattice and I have seen among the simple, I have perceived among the youths, a young man lacking sense. 
passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. And behold, the woman meets him, dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. She is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home, now in the street, now in the market, and at every corner she lies in wait. She seizes him and kisses him, and with bold face she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices, and today I have paid my vows. So now I've come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. I have spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian women. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love, for my husband is not his home. He has gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him, and in full moon he will come home. With much seductive speech, she persuades him, and her smooth talk, she compels him. And all at once, he follows her. As an ox goes to the slaughter, as a stag is caught fast, till an arrow pierces its liver, as a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. He describes her, he tells a story, and then he gives a warning. So chapter 6, flip back over to the left there. In chapter 6, verse 20, he says, because she's like this, and because this is what she does, listen, he says in verse 20, chapter 6, my son, keep your father's commandment, forsake not your mother's teaching, bind them on your heart always, tie them around your neck, when you walk, they will lead you, when you lie down, they will watch over you, and when you awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. To preserve you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress, do not desire her beauty and her in your heart and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. For the price of prostitute is only a loaf of bread, but a married woman hunts down a precious life. He's saying, son, an affair can be fatal. Can a man carry fire next to his chest or his clothes and not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. People do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his appetite when he's hungry. But if he is caught, he will pay sevenfold. He will give all the goods of his house. He who commits adultery lacks sense, and he who does it destroys honor." He himself gets wounds of dishonor and his disgrace will not be wiped away for, for jealousy makes a man furious and he will not spare when he takes revenge. He will accept no compensation and he will refuse though you multiply gifts. He says, that's the warning, stay away. Now, here's what to do in chapter five. Turn back over to chapter five, verse seven. Here's what you do when you encounter her. And now, O sons, listen to me and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her. Do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless. Lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life, you groan and your flesh and your body are consumed. And you say, how I hated discipline and my heart despised Reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I'm at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. So we're hearing this dad speak to his son. He's saying, son, when you get out into the world, one of, one of the most powerful forces that you're going to encounter is, in your, is your intense desire for sexual fulfillment. 
And he says, son, as it hits you, you're going to have options on where to take that desire to make it be satisfied. He says, and there are options that will lead you to life and will lead you to satisfaction and will lead you to flourishing. And there will be places where you can take that desire that will lead you to destruction and ruin. And he says, it'll hurt you. It'll hurt your family. It'll, it'll, it'll hurt other people. He says, the desire you have is good. There's nothing wrong with the desire, but where you take it discerns whether or not you have life or death. And so, son, what you need is wisdom. And that's what this book is all about, how to navigate life well. And, and he's not just saying, son, look out for the prostitutes. He, he's talking about the way that you see sexuality. Because the, the, the problem initially is that the father says, don't, don't go with her. But our culture says, why not? Why would we not go with her? And he answers in the way that he describes her. He says, the forbidden woman, the adulteress. And if you want to get literal about it, the Hebrew calls her the strange woman or the foreigner. And, and, and it calls her that because that word stranger comes from a Hebrew word that means to deviate or to separate oneself. What, what the father's trying to impress upon the son is that there's a community and this particular woman has abandoned that community. When, when he talks about her as the foreigner, he's not talking about a racist issue because there were lots of foreigners in Israel who were welcomed in. So Rahab and Ruth, Moses married a foreign woman and, and all of that was no problem. But what made you a foreigner, or what made you an outsider, what made you a stranger was not your race, it was your allegiance. Because if your allegiance was to the community, then you were on the inside. Because in any society, we have commitments that we make to each other and to the society for the well-being of that particular society. It's the same thing with families. We have commitments to each other. And if we break those commitments, then we're on the outside. And she says the central problem with this woman is that she takes two critical commitments. In Proverbs uh, uh, chapter 2, it says that she forsakes uh, the companion of her youth and, and the covenant of her God. So she breaks covenant with her husband and she breaks covenant with her God. And the problem with this woman, the father's trying to impress upon the son, is that she is a woman that lives outside the boundaries. And God's design for sex is within the context of a committed and covenantal relationship with a person who knows you over time and who walks with you and you know each other so deep that there's a vulnerability there. And he's saying, look, it's that relationship that you're violating when you take sex outside of it. Because sex is meant to be joined with an appreciation of a person emotionally, a commitment to them socially, financially. It's you saying, look, I'm with you forever and I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to hurt you. And in that place, sex flourishes, and this woman takes sex outside that, and she violates this man, and she violates the God who created sex to be enjoyed in the safety of a loving, committed, and covenantal relationship. And the problem with this woman is the problem we see in our culture because she wants to divorce sex from love. She wants to rip sexuality away from commitment. And that is the essential voice of folly, the essential voice of folly says, look, just go after pleasure, no, no thought of consequence, no thought of commitment. Just, deal, just do whatever feels good for you. You just do you and, and don't worry about anybody else. And, and, and foolishness, the, the Proverbs teaches that foolishness is a belief that my actions today will not have a ripple effect that carry into my future. The voice of folly says, pursue sex, void of any commitment. Don't worry about the consequences. There won't be any consequences. And the father says, son, there are going to be people, and they, they, they will use sexuality that they just want to enjoy and satisfy themselves. They're not thinking about what's best for you. They're not thinking about what honors God. They're not thinking what's best for the community. They're only thinking about self-satisfaction. 
Now we can see very clearly that this wisdom is not just for some young man thousands of years ago. Because this is the culture that we live in. This is the message that's, that is, is portrayed over and over again. Commitmentless sex. No consequences. Just go for it. 25% of internet searches today are for pornography. One in four. And you might say, well, that's not me. I'm not really, I'm not, that's not me. I'm not searching. I'm not hunting that stuff down. It's pervasive throughout our culture. Fifty Shades of Grey sold 70 million copies in just 10 months. To put that in context, The Hunger Games sold 30 million copies in four years. If you don't know what either one of those books are, let me just, that's bad. That the whole thing is just a bad scene right there. But that's the culture that we're in. That's the country. And we live in it. We never live culture. It says pursue commitment-free sex. No consequences. And what's so difficult for us in this is that a message like that, a message that says commitment-free sex, no consequences, that sounds good to us. There's a part of us that says that's a, that's a great idea. Because that desire is so strong and the world knows it's strong. And so it gets sold to you and you get the same sales pitch from this woman in Proverbs 5. When, 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 the, when the father is describing her, he says, look, her lips, they drip honey. That was the sweetest substance that they knew of in that day. And the father's trying to say, look, there's an allure to it. There's an anticipation behind it. So in chapter 7, he has to tell this story. And he gives a scenario of this whole thing being played out. And he, and he basically tells the story of the sales pitch to help his son and to protect his son. He's like, look, I watched this simpleton walk through the streets. The simple guy. A young man, he had made no commitment to wisdom. He had no insight on how the world works. And therefore, he had no mechanism on how to make an informed decision. He says, I watched that guy. And I watched him walk right by the street corner of the adulteress. And he puts himself in harm's way. He doesn't even know what, what he's doing. And he goes at twilight. He goes at the most dangerous time. And he says, this woman comes out dressed as a prostitute. He doesn't say she is a prostitute. He says she's dressed like a prostitute because she's designed to entice sexually. He says she's loud. She's going to get your intention. And then, and then it says, look, she's on every street corner. She's now on the street. She's in the market, every corner. She's everywhere. You don't have to seek it. It's going to come after you. And then she seizes him and kisses him. She's forward. And then she, then she throws this sales pitch. And she says, she, first she gives him an excuse. She's like, look, I had to offer my sacrifices today. I had to pay my vows. So when you offered a sacrifice and you offered an animal uh, to the gods, they would give you that animal. They'd give you the meat back. And because you didn't have a refrigerator, you'd have to eat it that night. So what she's saying is like, look, I've had this banquet going at my house. I've got nobody to eat with. You need to come, you need to come inside and, and at least have dinner with me. That's what she's saying to him. And there's a little bit of mystery to it. I mean, is this an Israelite woman offering sacrifices? Is it a Canaanite woman? A lot of times what the Canaanites would do, they'd make their sacrifices, and then they'd, uh, have their, they'd, they'd eat together, and then they would have sex. And, 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 and so she's enticing him, but there's an excuse. There's a, there's a reason for him to come in. She dresses it up for him to come in. And in your life, you will find a reason why it's okay for you to linger in places of temptation. In your life, in your places of temptation, you will find excuses. You will find reasons why it's okay for you to be there. It could be, well, it's late. You don't want to drive all the way back home, cross town. Why don't you just stay the night? Well, it's, 
It's late. I got a lot of work to do. I'm just going to stay here. I'm just going to work on the computer. I realize everybody else is out of the office. Everybody else is gone, but it's just really late. I got a lot to catch up with. I'm just going to stay on the computer, and and, and I'm just going to work late on on the computer. He's like, wow, I've had a really long day. I don't really want to think about thinking. I just want to watch whatever comes on TV. Whatever comes on TV is just going to be entertaining. I'm just going to come watch it. I really can't stay. Baby, it's cold outside. Which is a super creepy song, by the way. Um, whatever it is that you want to say, you will find an excuse. You will find a reason. You will, you will find a reason why it's okay for you to leave the door open on sensuality. That's the message of this woman. That's the message of our culture. And then the enticement comes and she starts to speak to him. She's like, look, I've been looking just for you. She makes him feel special. Most, she builds on his self-esteem. Most men who wander into affairs or pursue pornography, they often have low self-esteem. They don't feel like men, so she plays on that. She says, I've spread my couch with coverings with Egyptian linen. It's comfortable. This is going to feel good. It's perfumed with myrrh and aloe. It seems sophisticated. It's exciting. It's exotic. This is going to be satisfying. She says, let's take our fill of love till morning. Let's delight ourselves. This will enhance your life. The door is open. Everything's prepared. You should come on in. You should linger. And whatever that place of temptation is for you, it draws you in and it starts to say, this is going to be good. This will make you feel good. This will enhance your life. This will be fun. This is what you want. And, and her speech continues. She offers a, a bulletproof plan. She's like, look, my husband's not away. He's on a long journey. We won't get caught. You won't get trouble. He took a bag full of money. You won't get caught in this moment. You won't experience long-term consequences. She has answered every question and she promises satisfaction. And the father says, but listen how it ends. All at once he follows her. An ox that goes to the slaughter or a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver as a bird rushes into a snare. He does not know. It will cost him his life. The father says, I know, it looks so appealing on the front end, but the back end is devastation and death. If you take your sexual desire outside the God-given confines of a loving and committed marriage, it will call to you with all the promises of sweetness like honey, but in the end, it's bitter and deadly as poison. And in chapter five, verse eight and 10, he says this, listen to what the devastations are. He says, keep your way far from her. Do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless, lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. He says, look, if you pursue sexuality outside of marriage, there will be economic devastation. You don't think about that, but it will crush you economically. It does. You, you, you lose strength and honor and years. He's talking about all the hard work, all the years you work to build something, all the wealth you've accumulated. Your money and your honor will go to someone else. It will go to someone else who is merciless. In, in the United States alone, pornography is a $13 billion a year industry. And that money goes to the merciless, the merciless who use women. The USA Today reported that 24, 24% of married men and 14% of married women have affairs. And, and those stats, by the way, are the lowest of any report that I could find out there, which means one in every four. There is a lie that we're being fed that there is life and satisfaction outside the confines of marriage, and one in four are buying it. Infidelity is still one of the leading causes of divorce in our country. And you know what happens when they do? You know what happens when that happens? Both are going to lawyer up. Now I'm at $20,000 a piece on lawyers. 
That's money that you could have spent on something else. That could have gone to kids' college. It could have gone to anything else. But it gone to a guy who doesn't care about you. He doesn't care about your future. But, but you're just getting started because now you live in two houses. Your retirement is split in half. Your investments are split in half. They won't accrue as much. Half of it's gone. You're not done paying. You got child support coming and on and on and on and millions and millions and billions and billions of dollars goes to landlords and lawyers and people who don't care about you or your future. Look at what this pursuit of sexuality outside of marriage, look what it is doing to us. What could that money have done for the poor? What could that money have done for the hurting? What could that money have done for our planet? And it's not just economic devastation. It's social, emotional, relational devastation. He says in verse 11, chapter 5, at the end of your life, you groan. When your flesh and your body are consumed and you say, how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof, I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I'm at the brink of ruin in the assembled congregation. I like how the wise philosopher Toby Keith says it. He says, that's my house, that's my car, that's my dog in the backyard. There's the window to the room where she lays her pretty head. I planted that tree by the fence not long after we moved in. That's my kid, and that's my wife, but who is that man running my life? And, and, and here's the thing, I, I, I know guys who are in their 20s or in their 30s who've already done this. I know there's people in the room and you're in the middle of this right now. You bought the lie that there is life out there. I, I've done weddings for young adults whose parents have bought this lie. And the, and the whole reception, the whole party, which should be the celebration of this new marriage, is constantly jumping through hoops because stepmom and mom got to stay away and stepdad and dad got to stay away and the anxiety and the stress that it causes on them. I've, I've sat with older men, I've sat with parents who have bought this lie and lament over the years that have wasted and they say, man, I, I, why did I not listen to discipline? Why did, why did I not listen to instruction? Because I lost influence and I lost time and I lost platform with my kids. The discipline of purity is not at odds with ultimate pleasure and delight. Culture will try to tell you that it is. But the discipline of purity is not at odds with ultimate pleasure and delight. It is the way to it. The drive is good, but it has context and proper context is life-giving. There's economic devastation when you go outside. There's social, relational uh, devastation when you go outside. And, and this lie leads to spiritual devastation. Look at verse 21. He says, for a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord and he ponders all his path. He says, God is seeing this. The God who made you for something more, who made us to experience joy and delight, you're missing it. And I think one of the great tragedies of this is that our sins of commission actually numb us to what we want the most. A lot of times we pr pursue sexual sin to cope with our disappointment in life, to, to cope with our sadness or our anxiety or our stress, and it ends up causing more disappointment, more sadness, and more anxiety and more stress. We use it as escape, but it only leads to more bondage and slavery. And, and, and sometimes our pursuit of sexuality outside of God's design actually destroys our ability to enjoy sex. Men can't enjoy sex with their wives because they're objectified women and they live in a false reality of what they should be like and what they should look like. And women can't enjoy sex because of the pressure of being objectified and the pressure of an unrealistic image. 
And the father's saying, don't be fooled. Don't listen to that woman. That fire will burn you, son. So what do we do? What's, what's the solution when she begins to call? There's three things we see from our text. This is what we do when, when, the, when the woman begins to call. The first is listen to wisdom. Listen to wisdom in chapter five, verse one. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion and that your lips may guard knowledge. What the father is saying, look, if wisdom is on your mind and on your lips, then when her lips start moving, you can say, I've heard this story. I've heard this story. I know where it ends up. I don't want to be a part of that story. In chapter seven, he says, keep my words. Treasure my commandments because they will keep you from this woman. Time to your fingers. Say to her, you're my sister. Hang out with her. Hang out with wisdom. Be so soaked with the words of God that when a contrary message comes up, you'll say, that doesn't sound enticing at all. That doesn't sound good at all. I know exactly where that ends up. Make it so you're not simple. Study the Proverbs. Tyler mentioned last week that the book of Proverbs is meant to be studied communally. Get yourself around wise people. I have in my life intentional conversations and intentional friendships with men who are older than me, who love me enough to be honest with me and to ask me difficult questions. And I have intentional conversations and intentional friendships with men who are younger than me that I can ask them honest questions. Women, find healthy relationships with other women who will guide you and who will protect you from the slavery of comparison and insecurity and who will speak over you the truth of an identity as a daughter of the Most High God and who will shape in you what the scriptures define as true beauty. We need friends like Ulysses had in Odyssey. Remember that, that story? He's, he's going past the sirens. All the hot sirens are up on the rocks and they're crying out to him. He's like, guys, I really want to go over there by the sirens. And his friends tie him to the mast and his buddies save his life. Get some people in your life who can sabotage your stupidity. You need that. When you, when you, if you travel for work, when you travel for work, by the way, 30, 36% of affairs happen um, on, on work travel. When you travel for work, you've got a friend who they know where you're going. They know who you're going with. They know where you're going to be, what you're going to be doing. They've got the right to call you at any time, interrupt anything you might be doing because they might save your life. Have a friend that's going to go to the gym with you. And when, you're, when they're at the gym with you and that person who's at the gym who pays more attention to you than what is appropriate and they come kind of cruising up to you, you got your sweaty, awkward friend standing right there next to you who's ready to save your life. Get some people in your life who will love you and be honest with you. Get wisdom around you. The first thing you do when she starts calling is you listen to wisdom. The second thing that you start doing when she, when she starts calling is you resist the first impulses. Resist the first impulses. In verse eight, the father says, keep your way far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. The father doesn't say to her house, son, listen, I know when you finally get inside and you're sitting on the bed, just try not to breathe in the myrrh. Whatever you do, just don't breathe in the myrrh. That's where you're dead. No, he says, look, stay out of her house. Stay off the street. Stay out of the neighborhood. It's okay to be rude and run away from someone who puts inappropriate pressure on you. It will save your life. Joseph ran away from Potiphar's wife. So it means if you're, if you, if you're dating, think it through. If you're dating, have a plan. Think it through. Don't make it so at the end of the night you're tired and you're sitting alone at the apartment and you're all cuddled up on the couch and you're headed straight to Sheol. No, make a plan. Make a plan so that doesn't happen. Social media, Social media might not be healthy for you. 
A way for you to connect with old boyfriends or old girlfriends might be the one impulse that ignites the second impulse. Get off of it. It's not worth it. It might not be healthy for you to constantly be pouring image, over images that are creating something in your mind, that are creating a false reality in your mind. There was a, a quote on Twitter, ironically, that said, the, I know. Clearly, I'm on social media. Um, the great temptation of the social media age is that we would orient our lives in the pursuit of photoshopped lies. That we are chasing down false things. That's exactly what the father is saying to the son. Don't go after the lie. Set limits and guardrails to what you allow your eyes and mind to have access to. Shows, movies, books, entertainment that is culturally acceptable might have content that is unacceptable for you. And you need to ask yourself, this content, this entertainment that I'm always going after, what is it preaching to me? Because it is, it's preaching to you. What's it speaking to my heart? Because it is. And if you're having trouble discerning what it is that you can watch and what shows you can't watch, or what movie you can go see and what movie you can't go see, try using Philippians 4.8 as a filter. This is what Paul says. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable or commendable, if there's any excellent or anything praiseworthy, think about those things. I just ruined all the shows you like to binge watch. Binge watch. I'm sorry. What if we binged on Philippians 4.8? Be wise. Pay attention to what you pay attention to. Pay attention to what you pay attention to because what you stare at is what you'll think about and what you think about is what you care about and what you care about is what you chase. And if you let your mind soak in temptation enough, you'll start to believe that it makes sense and then your heart and your body will follow. And it's tricky. It, it won't always be overt and over the top to where you can clearly say, that's wrong. It often has a way of dressing itself up as something that seems good, as something that seems redeemable. It's something that seems artistic. But it's, it's luring you into a trap that will kill you. And the, and the Father says, resist it at the very first impulse. So listen to wisdom, resist the first impulse. And then lastly, drink from your own cistern. Drink from your own cistern. That's a weird phrase. What does that mean? Because it says, let your fountain be blessed, rejoice in the way for your youth. Now, every house in the ancient Near East had a cistern that collected rainwater. If there was underground spring, it would fill up with fresh water. And what the father is saying to the son is like, look, when you get married, man, you're going to have your own little fresh water source right by your house. Fresh water, whenever you want it. And I love, I love what he tells the, the God-fearing, believing married man. He, sa- he doesn't say, look, deny all your sexual impulses. That's not what he says. He says, drink. You thirsty, bro? Drink. But do it at your own cistern, your own wife. Enjoy her. Appreciate her. Cultivate your relationship with her emotionally, spiritually, intellectually, physically. Be thankful for her. 
There's a theologian named Wayne Grudman. Every morning, um, as part of his discipline of purity, as part of his protection plan of purity, what he does is he prays through a list of all these things that he appreciates about his wife, things, that, attributes that he's thankful for. That's how he protects himself. Drink at your own cistern. So if you're single here, you're doing the math, and you're like, uh, does that mean I have to wait? Yes. And that is extremely difficult. <laughs> but it's worth it. It's so worth it because then you get your own cistern. You don't have to share it with anybody else. It's yours. Don't let strangers near it. It'll be yours. You say, well, we're living together. It's, I mean, it's like being married. No, it's not. It's nothing like being married. Living together is like having a rental car. I can drive it however I want and I can just turn it in when I'm done with it and go get another one. Whenever it starts giving me problems, whenever I think I want something I want to upgrade, it's not the same as being married. So single ladies, all the single ladies, <laughs> don't share it. Don't share it. Save it. Save it for the man who says, I, I want all of you. And, and I commit all of my life for my entire life to you. Save it for the man who says, I want your heart, I want your mind, I want your dreams, I want the hurts, I want the problems, I want the sickness, I want the health, I want the better, I want the worse. I take all of you. That guy Save it for him and then have a blast with it. I mean, he says in verse 19, a lovely, dear, graceful doe, let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. He's not talking about procreation. Be intoxicated. Go crazy, but wait for the one who wants all of you. And until that day, if you are single, wait like Boaz did in the book of Ruth. Boaz was an honorable man. He built businesses. He built an industry. He blessed his whole community. The whole town was blessed because Boaz took his energy and he built something awesome for people. And then one day when God was ready, he brought Ruth from in the middle of nowhere, right there into his field. And she was the right woman for the right guy at the right time. And they got to enjoy the blessing. So if you're single, it means that while you wait, you wait cultivating, not coveting. It means that while you wait, you wait cultivating, not coveting. A message like this um, is difficult because some of you, you hear it and you're like, that, that was discouraging. I mean, I could have really used that talk a decade ago or decades ago. And maybe you didn't get the chance to make the decision to stay pure. Maybe that was taken from you. And, and I, don't know, I don't know where this message finds you, um, but, but I didn't want to spare you the devastation of sexual sin. I don't, I don't think that that serves you to spare you the devastation because it leads to death. But I don't want to twist the knife. I, I'm not interested in any way in, in reopening a wound or hurting anybody um, because what's beautiful about the Proverbs, what's beautiful about the gospel is that no title is forever. And so if you're listening to this, if you're reading through this and you think, man, in my life in this category, the title fool is hanging over me, you don't have to stay there. You can move. Be humble. Come to God, the God who forgives. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul's talking to the Corinthian church, which, who was, by the way, a mess in this. He says, 
don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Paul says, don't be deceived because neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And he says, and such were some of you. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You're sanctified. You're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the spirit of your God. And Paul's saying to, to the church, he's like, look, you're a mess sexually and socially. You were a mess. And even now you got a little mess to you. But in terms of titles, in terms of identity, you were that. But now you're something new. And what the wisdom of the Proverbs and the, and the beauty of the gospel is that no one is too far gone. Because God loves to pursue those that are wayward when they cry out to him. The grace of Jesus goes far beyond our failures. And so the invitation is to lean into him, to rest in him. Tim Chester says, whatever sin offers, God offers more. Because he offers himself. God knows the desire and he knows how it works. Listen to the voice of wisdom. Listen to the voice of Jesus because there is life there. Let's pray. God, thank you, um, God, just for being with us this morning. And God, I thank you for the, uh, the power of your word because in many ways it is um, like this scalpel that is able to cut and God to expose the things in our life, God, that are destroying us. Um, God, but in, in the same way, it also is this healing ointment, God, this oil of gladness. And so, God, I just pray um, for us in the room, God, who have experienced just the pain of what it is to be deceived um, by this message of the adulteress or the forbidden woman. God, that, that this, God, would be a day of freedom that we find in the forgiveness offered by Jesus Christ and his amazing grace and his mercy and his love towards those who would call out to him. So God, I thank you for the warnings. I thank you for the wisdom. And I thank you for Jesus. And now as we go to this time of communion, Lord, I just, um, I pray God that the bread and the cup would be sweet to us because they're a reminder of that our failure isn't fatal. Um, and God, that your mercy endures forever, that your love is steadfast. And God, that you are constantly pursuing us and constantly calling us home. Jesus, we love you. Amen.